This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. This week, I have Tara McNeil with me, soon to be known to be returning to Tara Falconer. Tara has worked in the field of exercise science as a physiologist and administrator for over 25 years. She spent a number of her early years developing and monitoring training programs for elite professional athletes in the NHL, AHL, WHL, CFL, and MLB, as well as amateur athletes of all kinds. Later in her career, she began consulting for a number of pro and amateur organizations, including Bobsleigh Skeleton Canada and Canadian Luge Association, where she developed a sliding sport long-term athlete development framework. Tara then forayed her enthusiasm for building future Olympians into a role as the athlete development specialist at Windsport here in Calgary, where she was largely responsible for the creation of a sustainable athlete development pathway, creating performance toolkits for every age and stage of growth and development. She gained oversight and, running and ran quality control of all strength and conditioning programs for developing athletes at Windsport. Her consulting work has her developing comprehensive performance strategies for athletes, coaches, and sport organizations, as well as mentoring exercise professionals as to raising performance thresholds and extending the sport life and career expectancy of athletes. Wow. Talk about our resume, Tara. I'm thrilled to have you here. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> that sounds overwhelming. I'm like, who is that? <laughs> I think it's because I'm really old. <laughs> I'd say we're far away from that, but some pretty incredible experience already. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, what led you in the direction of exercise physiology as a career? And so how did these opportunities start coming up for you? Well, I was always super interested in performance. I was, I would say a talented athlete, but I could never kind of put it together when it counted. Like I was either MVP or go sit in the car. Like you are a head case, get out of the game. Like it was just really frustrating. And I had some truthfully really difficult experiences with sport. Then that led me to giving up a possible scholarship opportunity to the U S and I was like, this sucks. So, um, Plan to go to vet school, plan to go to med school, had all sorts of ideas, really didn't know what I was doing, and then stumbled across this master's program at the University of Calgary way back in the day. Um, it was mostly geared, master of kinesiology program at the University of Calgary, mostly geared at that time uh, to performance sport and understanding how to uh, take an athlete to the Olympics. I loved it. Like, I couldn't wait to run to class. There was a, a guy, Dr. Dave Smith, who Boy, I just hung off every word. He would describe with vivid detail his experiences at the Olympics. And I thought, what makes these people perform well? And what the heck is wrong with me? So it was a bit of a, bit of a personal quest. Yeah. More about like, I don't know how, how um, you know, what was wrong with me? Like, why couldn't I put this together? And I felt really, I was pretty down with myself. I felt like I was a tale of lost potential and all this kind of stuff. But through the education experience, I really started to understand performance. I actually wanted to do more on the performance psychology side, but the physiology was something that I was really interested in and particularly the strategy. That was what really interested me, all the periodization, how to take all this science, take what's really meaningful and condense it into 
um, you know, the most important things. So competition doesn't wait for you. You only have so much time to get somewhere. You only physiologically peak three times a year. Like that sounds like there's a lot of science. Like, what do you do? And I love that, that process of trying to wrangle the most important things and uh, make the plan. And I really got interested in, in strategy. And then I just, truthfully, um, I stayed on for a semester when I was done to help teach a stats class. And um, the phone rang in my office and it was this guy that was, uh, uh, you know, he was working with um, a, lot of, a lot of NHL uh, teams and uh, ran a big physio clinic, like a really, really big one actually across the country and said, we heard about your program. We understand you really know a lot about performance stuff. You do MVO2 testing. We're bringing the Maple Leafs farm team, about you know eight of them to Calgary. Do you know anybody that'd be willing to work with them for this summer? And I was about to go, yeah, like, hold on, I'll go get someone. And then I just decided in that moment, like, why not me? And, yeah. um, and so I squeaked that out. I was super super nervous because this was if this was 1994 1995 and so there weren't a lot of knees out there um those are the days of like charles baldwin and um rich hesketh who's doing a lot of amazing work now like he was there and like who am i what am i gonna do so i quickly like hung the phone and then ran down the hall to my friend um who was my office partner back then his name was bill mackie unfortunately passed away about a year or so ago, but a brilliant strength condition coach and strategist. And I said, Bill, what have I done? He's like, you can do this. So I'm like, well, what are all this stuff I know how to make it work? So anyways, I next thing you know, there I am. And I was working with them and this crazy cool scout. And we, we broke some records that year at camp in terms of fitness. And then it led into another thing and another thing. But, but I had, I couldn't go there and be, this giant, here I'm going to squat the house. This is what this is going to look like. I yeah, had to really talk science and find my lane because I wasn't going to be able to compete with people like Charles or Rich. I was going to have to really talk about return on investment of training, what we could do to leverage their physiology. And at first they looked at me like I was the loon, but then, you know, proof was in the pudding and it led to another thing and another thing. And then, you know, I yeah. was off to the races. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Rich Hesketh because I've actually had him on this show before too. Um, but yeah, great guy. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a bit of a different approach. But it's cool to hear how that first opportunity that came up. It just you know you happened to be the one in the office when the phone rang and just decided. <laughs> I mean, yeah. good on you for taking the taking the leap and not you know going to get somebody else to take that call instead. But sometimes uh, I've wished I went to get somebody else. I actually have thought like, why didn't I get somebody else? <laughs> There's been moments I mean, like that. I'm not going to lie. Of course. Yeah. And we're all going to have them. Right. But I mean, in the end, it seems like it's worked out pretty well for you. And it's, oh, sorry. I had a thought and it floated right out of my head. But uh, with all the opportunities that you've had now, what I really liked about what you were saying there is talking about the return on investment in training. Cause something I know I see a lot with kids that I work with now is, you know, they'll come in to see me three times a week and they'll be working well, we're making progress. But then when I, when I talk to them, when they start, uh, when they're starting their sessions, I'll get comments like, Oh yeah, I did a super hard leg day on my own yesterday, just because, you know, they and like so they just kind of never really understand that fact that it's not necessarily the more the better when it comes to training can you talk a little bit about like 
maybe what kids should be looking for, like how to kind of balance that schedule to make sure that, you know, you're not just pushing yourself into the ground with really hard training just for the sake of it. And you're actually keeping the performance and sport in mind when you're going through that schedule. Well, it's a big question. I want to put some disclaimers on this, but I think from a broad perspective, first of all, um, what a lot of folks fail to recognize is that the recovery is just as important and often sometimes more important than the exercise stimulus. So um, your training is, the adaptations of training are not going to take place if you're not getting that rest and recovery. That's fundamental. So just back to basic science, we introduce a training program, you know, our you know, performance to come down as our body adjusts to it. If we're managing rest and recovery appropriately, we're deloading appropriately or, you know, tapering or whatever it is that you want to call, there's lots of different terminology around that, we should comp super compensate to a higher level. So we've got that sort of dip and up. Um, what happens though is a lot of people think more is better. They do more, particularly on the intensity side. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, never come out of that trough. So understanding that as a premise, number one, that in terms of a program and a program design, you have to design your training program and design your recovery. And both are um, equally important. And in often cases, managing the recovery is more important. And so when you're dealing with kids, they're like, I want to be jacked. I want to look like that guy. I need to do this. I'm slow. I need to go fast. Well, unfortunately, if you're continuing to grind down your nervous system, um, you're not recovering, you know, you're um, depleting all of your energy stores. Um, you're not managing that with good nutrition and, and sleep, which is, you know, kind of like really listening to your coach. And you're deciding to do 12 other things alongside of that. Then, you know, all your best laid plans are going to go to waste sadly. In fact, um, as we come to see in the long term or, or even in the short term, but, you know, oftentimes over years, um, athletes will actually get worse. So it's that balance is really critical. And I think that education up front is really important when you're dealing just with the stakeholders in those kids' lives. So it's like they yeah. come to you. So I always like, I, I know exactly how you feel. I, when I was at Winsport in particular, I was like, oh my gosh, like you're in how many dry line programs and you're oh, sore and you... So now it's a safety issue. We can't train you. We'd have to put you on the bike. Like that's, it's not safe. And, and we're not going to give you programming that is going to actually only compound the program. So oftentimes, you know, it meant saying, no, I'm sorry. Like, it's not right. Like we're going to do you disservice by training you um, also. So here's the expectation. Here's how many times a week you should be doing whatever it is. It depends obviously on the, the cycle you're in and, um, and how to manage that load. And then around that, what are all the things you need to do to help you adapt? Sleeping, um, managing your stress, you know, when you, what you eat, when you eat, because um, you're going around like a ball of inflammation from all that training and all the, yeah. you know, the, the volume you're doing. And then, you know, your tissues are more inflamed, you're more inflamed, um, you're carrying so much stress hormone around eventually in time as that pools comes to a, an alarming level and you're living in that fight or flight system all the time, right? Your, yeah. your growth hormone gets sapped. Um, you start kind of holding on to fat instead of burning it. Yeah, and absolutely. All those, yeah, there's so much. I could go on and on about it and I probably could and you don't have that much time, but, <laughs> but it's that upfront education is critical and understanding the importance of, of, um, of that rest and recovery. And then for like a, a practitioner like you, like who's a coach, like, 
it's like it's your it's your program it's your responsibility it's your name on it right so it's like this is what a program with me looks like and here's what i expect to help you get the best out of it because it's your time it's your money it's your effort yeah of course and i mean that's one thing too so for those kids, because I know I deal with a lot of them and I know I'm far from the only strength and conditioning coach that does for those kids or even those older athletes that they want to be doing something every day. They want to, you know, always be pushing, always be doing more. What would be a good place to start as far as like taking some intensity down? Like if it's an off day, but they want to be doing something because they feel like just sitting around, you know, isn't going to isn't going to help them what would be a way for them to think about structuring that off day to be able to feel like they're, you know, still making progress, but not burning themselves out with high intensity stuff and actually doing something productive on those days instead. Well, if I understand your question correctly, I guess it's um, like recovery can take two forms. If I, I know, yeah. correct me if I'm, I'm not following you, but there's obviously complete recovery, which sometimes you need to do. Like it's actually, that's why I spend so much time on that upfront education. And like, actually I want you, you know, have a day, like be okay, you know, playing video games or doing your thing, like laying around. Cause sometimes you need that complete recovery, especially in so, certain times of training, we're doing a lot of intensity. So go ahead. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring the attention back to the listeners this is a professional of over 25 years in exercise physiology saying sometimes those days of sitting around playing video games are important. So remember that <laughs> there are days where you are going to need it. So sorry, sorry, I just needed to make sure we brought that brought that one back. Well, around. <laughs> let me back up that bus further because that's why I, I you know, had so many the most important person stakeholders in the process with kids or parents. Yeah, of course. And um, and then whoever you know whoever they're sort of support team really is it could be grandma it could be teachers it could be other people and that upfront communication and collaboration of like hey everybody here wants the best for your athlete yeah your kid you want to you know realize their potential you you can see the greatness in them or you want to figure out what that greatness even looks like so let's not like I was going to say a bad word pissing the pickles but let's not (laughs) let's not sort of like uh you know kibosh that by doing all this extra stuff because it's not going to work like here's how we can work together as a team so upfront communication about what is healthy and right and going to have the best help accelerate the adaptations to the training program that's super critical up front that communication involving parents up front right away to help them understand what would happen if they're doing um i'm playing soccer oh and i'm on basketball oh and i've decided to take up violin and i'm doing all these things so even if they're not active, stress is stress is stress. The body doesn't discern where it comes from, even if it seems to be good. Yeah. It could be stress of a, of a, of a yeah, I have a new girlfriend. I'm super excited. It's still stressful. I'm doing my homework. I'm, I have a life outside of my, of my sport. And if you're, um, the body is not getting time to come down from that in any fashion. It can kibosh the training adaptation. So even if it's not other activity, a physical activity, if it's like I'm playing piano six hours a day and I'm also, you know, in the IB program in high school and I'm doing all this extra honors work. Oh, and by the way, I run my own business and all this other stuff. And my dad makes me mow everyone's lawn in our neighborhood. That would be the active part. Like all of that is still, there's an act, there's an energy cost to all of that. Of course. So, also, the upfront sort of uh, um, 
understanding of what they're bringing to the table is really important to managing how you're going to how you're going to, what kind of program you're going to be able to even give them to any success and how you're going to negotiate that so-called load. So if you're, that's why I back it way up and say, let's have a realistic conversation here and set everybody's expectations. So you're not fully furious that I've done a terrible job with you. Um, this was a plan doomed to fail from the beginning because of all of this. So let's decide what it is that you're really willing to negotiate and do. Otherwise your program might consist of spinning on a bike twice a week and rolling on this roller. Do you want to spend a hundred bucks an hour for that? Yeah, so I have those conversations enough. with people there. So it, it's a hard question for me to ask because, but it, it comes from the place of that recovery. So that could be, as I said, days where you just have you time. What are the yeah, things that make you happy? Um, or it's active recovery as in, I'm just going to go walk my dog or, something that doesn't have um, any sort of significant energy cost. Um, and, that, and again, having those conversations, that communication is really important. So yeah, my planning is always, yeah. So I can't make programs or comment on them and almost until I know the whole menu, I just can't think that way because I understand the cost uh, energetically, you know, from a hormonal perspective, all that stuff, neuromuscularly in terms of grinding down their nervous systems. So I won't even... So can you, I guess I can't, in other words, I'm going to say, I can't really answer that until I know all those other things, except to say those things are critical in the planning process for success, yeah, success in anything. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I mean, like the big thing, why I wanted to make sure I brought back to that point was just because mm -hmm. again, you know, when people are trying to push forward in an athletic career, they think that, you know, every day needs to be all of this work to keep pushing forward. It's like, but there are going to be days where you do need to, again, you know, let your energy replenish. And so it was just, you know, really digging into that. I really appreciate that. But for those athletes, again, what would be some signs to, maybe look for in themselves, whether it's, you know, energy levels, soreness in the body, whatever else it might be to tell them, Hey, no, it's going to be more beneficial for me to take this day fully off, let myself recover and not, you know, go for that extra training session today. Excellent question. Um, I love this question because it's actually part of my research. I, I, I think I'm going, I've gone back to school. So um, it's part of my, uh, my PhD project stuff is from stress biomarkers and identification of all that in training program design. Um, so uh, on a daily um, basis, there's some pretty sort of um, pretty consistent signs and symptoms that anybody might be able to have that will signal that their body is starting to accumulate a lot of stress hormones. They're not you know, that, fight, that cortisol is meant to tap, is meant to be turned on and off with stress to help you fight the bear, run from danger, you know, get through this big week of exams, whatever it might be. But with that, you know, that high sympathetic load to help you get out of the danger, even if it's just the danger of a math exam, you need to come down from that yeah. and have that sort of rest and digest time. So if you're continuing letting that tap run because you go from training to busy job to other stressful thing, plus, you know, in a pandemic plus all of that stuff like the stress of that um within even a couple of days of living on this state a couple of things will happen and we call them vegetative shifts and they're usually pretty fast trying to signs to things are going south um, could be disruptions in quality of sleep from your normal sleep patterns or if you're always having problems with sleep that could be a long-term chronic situation 
Um, so, uh, you know, unable to get to sleep, stay asleep, you know, wild sleep, you wake up, yeah. it's a tornado, that kind of stuff. Um, you can start with increased irritability, whereas you just feel like your fuse is a lot shorter. You just aren't able to cope with as much as you normally um, can. You're barking at everybody, you know, and, and caveat, there is a, a time in training, especially when you're doing a lot of high intensity anaerobic training where, um, you know, I've always, I tell the athletes I've worked with, like, you know, stay away from um, your roommate that drives you crazy for a while because you're going to bite their head off because they just want to rip the drywall off the walls at times. So there is that point where testosterone and stuff is really high and you know, stress hormones high because they're lifting a lot or they're doing a lot of intensity. So that's part of it, uh, which you have to really pay attention to and manage. But when it's ir- your irritation, you're just not coping as well. And you feel like you're thinking and complaining about everything, just like everything bugs you. Um, you just seem to be more attuned to it. People yeah. that are not as stressed, you know, uh, a leaky faucet isn't going to set them off the way it does when they're more stressed. They yeah. don't care about it. They don't notice it. So it's almost paying attention to their change in dialogue. They're complaining about everything. To a sliding progression of that is depression. They start to feel like unmotivated, low. That's when it's gone on too long. Um, I'm not coping. I don't care. I don't want to do that. So those yeah. shifts, um, a lot of depression can be traced back to sort of unresolved um, stress early in another place that you just didn't sort of form even you know are able to fully process or hormonally adjust or compensate for yeah so that's important to cravings it's interesting around um food um it's when people tend to they uh, crave sugar alcohol um <laughs> want to crush a bag of doritos <laughs> like all of a sudden their cravings they just want to do they want to blow off steam in fact and a lot of people will end up doing reckless things in times like athletes will do something really like you're like what on earth are you thinking but it's during that time where their cortisol screaming high they're not recovering and they start to feel like they're going to be reckless like i'm just going to do this and yeah. often you can attribute criminal activity I found is super interesting too. <laughs> rises in stress. Like when people will just do something really ludicrous. So those signs and symptoms are, they start to show up. And usually if you've got a couple of consecutive days where your appetite has changed, you just, you're either eating a lot of that stuff or you don't want to eat, or you just sort of off and three consecutive days of that, of those types of symptoms are a check to say what's going on. So typically um, with great mentors I've had in my life um, and some help, we've developed some health and wellness questionnaires. There's lots of them out there that monitor on a daily basis, like on a Likert scale, you know, cravings, hydration, nutrition, yeah. quality of sleep, energy levels, irritability, like mood disturbances. And having athletes track those daily um, for me, if I'm monitoring a program and to sort of see and, and check in, and then be like, okay, what's going on? You've seen a couple of days where your sleep's really off. What's happening with you? And, you know, just checking in with that and then saying, you know what? You might want to back off or take a set off or, um, you know, depending on how it's been going, we can make some adjustments to some of the types of training. Typically never sacrifice quality of training. Yeah, you know, if you, you know that meaning like you don't just go and go lighter. You know, don't sacrifice the intensity, but you might sacrifice the volume. You might do, um, you know, a different get more sleep. Or you know, sometimes in larger cases, all of a sudden you might find that someone's found themselves in a really stressful situation, yeah. and it's like now it's a someone's sick. Or so um, even finding that a stressor that's uncontrolled comes into play. 
then that has an energy cost. It actually, I told somebody the other day that a stressful situation sometimes can almost be like doing an extra day training in terms of its toll on the body. So in order to maintain for athletes that are trying to get to competition, we sometimes need to drastically adjust the volume of training yeah. given the circumstances to get the same results. So, and um, yeah, yeah, that's like, Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no problem. I, no, no, I like that. There's a lot of really good detail there because I think that is something that, you know, again, a lot of athletes almost feel guilty taking a day to themselves, right? So it's like it is good to have those things to think about. And I know in my own practice, I always try to make sure that, you know, I'm checking in on athletes every time I see them when they're coming in to train and, you know, how the week is going with practice and all of that and trying to get a feel for sort of where they're at stress-wise and then, it mm -hmm. helps me adjust day to day what we're doing in the gym. But the interesting ones there that I found were the cravings with food. So, you know, if they're just constantly kind of going for garbage food when they're not usually doing that. And then the other one that I found really interesting there was uh, your, the association with criminal activity. And just because like, <laughs> you know, as much as it sounds crazy, like you do hear these stories of like, Oh, you know, this athlete that's worth $10 million is, was pulled over driving drunk on the highway, like these, you know, sort of crazy stories. And it does kind of make you think, you know, like, what is it that's causing this person who has it all to throw it away like that? And it's to think that it can come down to something as simple as like being overwhelmed and being burnt out like that is, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so I think like, um, I had gone back to, I hadn't been on, I, I, you know, in the trenches with athletes for a number of years, given some of the stuff I was doing more on the administrative side of sport. And I spent, you know, the last chunk of years at Winsport back in the gym. And I was like, whoa, like even just culturally, um, just given all the stuff that's going on in the world and, and um, this performance mentality, um, you know, a lot of people believing that they're going to be Olympians at 11, uh, you know, I'm not sort of tongue-in-cheek but, but almost not really and not understanding yeah. that you physiologically you're not going to be able to reach your potential in many sports until you're in your 20s and even into your 30s so sport really needs to mean something different um, in the developing years enjoyment fun teamwork um, discipline hard work um, how to get along with people um, yeah. you know personal excellence and mastery, like learning to be good at stuff and taking pride in yourself. Like the whole, how fun sport is. Like I, you know, that, that, that was lost in me. I had a very performance driven mindset and family growing up. Sorry, mom and dad, but that was the truth. And so I remember like failure wasn't an option. And I, and I came to learn later in my life. It's like, I stopped having fun. So yeah. um, that's a huge part of, and um, a lot of people deciding like, I'm going to be, an NHL hockey player now, that's all they're doing. They're only doing hockey and they're doing spring hockey. They're not taking any time. And so they're not developing a lot of tools in their toolkit in terms of um, you know, terms, people use today, physical literacy, things like that. Um, our physical education programs in elementary schools and whatnot um, used to be very geared to a lot of skill development. I know things have changed. Some elementary school programs in those critical years of skill development before we hit puberty is where we're really big sponges for technical skill development, where you want to be, you know, skating, swimming, uh, using any type of implant, bat, you know, sticks, 
throwing ice, snow, whatever it may be, yeah. all sorts of different stuff, running, jumping, throwing, whatever it may be to develop that sort of those toolkits. And yeah. then when you hit puberty, the wheels start to kind of go off the cart as you start to change and grow in development. But up to the point of really, you know, the real onset of that um, puberty period um, is where you can, re- kids should be sponges and doing so many different things and experiencing so many different things because they become one trick ponies later. And moreover, they start to hate it and, and burn out of it. So yeah. remember all those stories about Wayne Gretzky, skates off. Remember that whole story about Wayne, Wayne, I always remember that. Skates off, don't touch hockey. And it was all about baseball. A lot of these athletes who hear about that did great things, did so many different things growing up and just... Yeah. It develops so many other skills, decision-making in sport, um, you know, sort of staying ahead of the play, understanding that cognitive tactical side of sport, um, yeah. being resilient. Plus, so you don't become an NHL hockey player, but, oh, my gosh, you're an awesome baseball player or you've got these other skills. And there's opportunities for talent transfer. Yeah. So sport can become a lifelong thing versus it's over and now you're, you know, everything's over. So. Yeah, and I mean, one thing there too is like, you know, what you were talking about, about like sport being, you know, more about enjoyment, but then also like, you know, self-mastery and pers- like pursuing excellence, these kinds of things, because I do agree. I see so many kids that at such a young age, they've decided, you know, this is where I'm going to go and this is what I'm going to be, but they want to kind of skip to the end. Like a kid picks up a hockey stick for the first time at four years old and decides I'm going to be the next Connor McDavid. It's like, but you don't realize that Connor McDavid didn't wake up one day as the Connor McDavid he is today. Like he, he mm-hmm. went through those stages of playing different sports as a kid, of working hard, of just learning to love playing sports. And then he became the superstar he is. And that was actually one of yeah. the motivations behind starting this show was helping athletes understand what really goes into creating a successful career in sport uh, beyond mm-hmm. simply being skilled. Because again, every athlete at the top is talented. We all know that, but you know, what is it about these ones that make it that allows them to make it while these other ones fall off beforehand? Um, So given your experience, you know, with all the high level athletes you've worked with, has there been sort of a common factor or something that you've noticed more often than not in these high level teams or these high level athletes that you feel has allowed them to reach those levels versus those who maybe don't make it? Yes. Um, sometimes it's, it's uh, an interesting question because in all cases, I wouldn't say all cases, many cases, they just genuinely really loved what they were doing and they worked hard at it and they had incredible support along the way by someone, maybe sometimes it wasn't even parents or, um, you know, somebody that they would normally think would be, you know, giving them that support. It was uh, an equipment manager it was someone's, uh, you know, someone's friend that really just believed in them and created a safe space for them to do that. That seems to be a precursor. And I, and I did a lot of interviewing of um, women Olympians at one point in my career. And, and they had all sorts of different stories about why they did their sport. Like they, um, but they sort of just um, uh, loved the fight of it. And they learned, they loved the challenge of trying to get better at something and you know, at some point or ever, not to say that results didn't matter, because it did, you know, they all well, didn't care about that, but they, they liked the journey and the challenge of trying to get better. That was a big part of it. And they had incredible support systems, um, 
you know, somebody even and in one case, one girl that I, I know was like, it wasn't my family. I didn't have a great family. It was, you know, this guy that polished my sled runners. Like he was just so like, you can do this, you can do this. And so when she thought, is this crazy? He'd be like, it's not crazy. You've got something and kept encouraging. So social support was massive. That's a huge one. Social support. Um, uh, you know, one of the most common lessons I tell younger, younger athletes is if your friends who you're hanging out with right now, don't support you being great. They're not really your friends. That's a huge lesson to learn younger. So if you've got a real, like a a dream, like a super love, some kind of a talent, anything, you know, talent is a a bit of a sticky word because everybody has talent. It's what you, you know, and, and that only runs, it only go, it takes you so far. It's the hard work, it's the perseverance, it's the managing all the life stuff around it. That's why there's lots of metrics of success, which is why I talk about planning, rest, recovery, diet, everything, like making it a lifestyle. But social support is huge. Like who are you spending your time with? Because that can be a huge uh, time sink and stressor for people is social support and having the courage to step away from those people and spend time with people that actually do give you that support. Um, that seemed to be a universal um, thing. And my ex-husband uh, was pro athlete, had a very successful career for 14 years and went through a lot of relational things that had to, he had to step away from in order to feel, um, I guess, released, free to be able to do what he wanted to do. And yeah. it meant, you know, recognizing, having some hard lessons about who was there for him and who, who wasn't, which became very apparent when he retired because the whole world became becomes different and then you realize a lot of it isn't even real which is very upsetting yeah so social support is really important hard work um using every uh it's it's failures is a word to also manage the the um the, the the thinking about it's an opportunity to learn grow um capitalize on um, difficulties it's always an opportunity to be a sleuth and figure out what's going on and get yeah. better and make that an enjoyable process to figure I think that that's, out right i think and that's just, a huge key right that's one of the really big ones is people look at failure and it's like oh my god no it's over it's like no look at like okay this yeah. didn't go your way but what can you learn from it how do you take it into the next opportunity and how do you improve off of it don't just you know, don't sit and stew in the failure, actually use it to your advantage. Everybody's going to fail. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Well, and great co- like coaching. That's a fun part about coach education and having, having had the opportunity to work with some, some really interesting minds in coaching is that the yearly training plan um, process should involve planned failure, like planned competition experiences to teach, push the athletes constantly, not constantly because at times they need to be put in places where they are the big fish in the small pond to build confidence and self-efficacy. But there's times in that trajectory of their planning where they need to fall on their heads, like hopefully not literally, but, um, but in terms of like to understand how to be uncomfortable, change. Um, a lot of training planning we do, like uh, if say they always shoot with their right hand, get them to shoot with their left, like, like you want them to leverage and play to their strengths but, um, you know, doing some things to help them be un- uncomfortable because competition, particularly when you get to the higher levels, traveling to a different country, um, uh, there's always something that's going to, you know, could go wrong. Like the snow conditions are bad. Um, there's delays of game. There's, um, oh, oh my goodness, like the food was terrible. Like um, I remember hearing a story of some athletes going to Sochi and, you know, before the Olympics and doing some stuff and they got 
noodles with ketchup. The protein was all gone. They were sliders. They were starving. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to perform? They weren't in the best conditions at times and they had to figure out a way to perform on demand. So that adversity is what builds greatness. So if you're always uh, training in this air conditioned, beautiful bubble of a place, and it's always at 3 p.m. on on the same day and the same conditions, and you're always wearing your same great outfit, and you've had your great snack, and you've got your post-exercise thing, and it always is like that, that's not real life. Yeah, of course. So you need to be able to, that's the the beauty of sport as just a modality to learn to grow and perform and be better is it's a, it's like a living lab of adversity and challenges yeah. and you've got to think and adjust and whatever and learn to make decisions on the fly. So I think it's an incredible opportunity to teach some awesome life lessons, which means you got to plan that way. So you as a coach have got to, and no one to appropriately do that. So you're not like, you know, wounding them for life as in they're so scared. If you don't do anything. But well, of like, course that's big too. Like, uh, and, and I love what you were saying there though, about, you know, these women Olympians that you were interviewing and how one of the things they loved the most was just the constant opportunity to get better focusing on, you know, improving at something. Cause you know, like I was mentioning, like these kids that at 13, 14 years old, they just assume that, you know, they're going to take over the world in their sport and they have no sort of concept of what it takes to actually get there, what that process from 13 years old to best in the world actually looks like. Can you talk a little bit about like, were there any stories in particular that stuck out to you about like these people really going the extra mile, really, you know, doing extra work to put themselves past the pack to, you know, really show that it's like they were in it to be the best in the world, not just simply trying to skip to the end and get all the glory. Yeah, like 100%. I have a lot of them. So uh, particularly with these women Olympians, I've got some really cool stories from lots of people, but I'll speak to some of these um, ladies. Uh, One of them, it was really interesting. She was really cerebral um, in terms of she was a speed skater and she loved um, just that finding that perfect line. She said, she described like this feeling, it's almost like hitting the sweet spot. Like when you hit a golf ball with the club, just in the right place, you know, it's going to be a great shot or that, that, um, you know, tennis, I love tennis. I love when you just know you make that contact. So there's a sweet spot with figure skating and she loved finding that, like, it just was like, almost like a high, like a drug for her. And she was gangly. She wasn't built like a typical speed skater. Nobody really believed in her, but she's like, I love this. And she was just out there turning and trying to figure this out. And the next thing you know, like almost she describes it as she sort of landed. I mean, people were making fun of her all the time, but she's like, I don't care. I just really like this. And, and so she just kept at it. And so it was this, all of a sudden she looks back and she's like, Oh my gosh, I was way back there, but I am way up here. So that was, that was interesting and surprising. Another, um, athlete uh I know her family could not find anything that she liked to do and she was just a really introverted um athlete who just couldn't find her groove and and moreover didn't seem to like anything and so they put her in a very peculiar sport um she went into luge and she ended up just 
like into a fast sliding down. And then, and next thing you know, they, she found her thing. So, so there's like, you know, it was sort of the story of there's something for everyone. And I just yeah. really liked it. And I liked figuring out, and she was very, really, really bright uh, girl, loved figuring out sort of the physics of it. And, and, you know, the, all the, the stuff she'd have to do to sort of get the most leverage with her start. And she just really loved it. And so for her, again, it was, she had a different, a different sort of hook with it. And, you know, one of my favorite stories, and this woman's a force to be reckoned with, um, not a good story in, in the sense that she was bullied brutally. Um, she was an alpine skier that um, was bullied brutally. Like when I hear the levels to which she was bullied, it's, it's devastating to me. And um, she just, it was really, really tough, but uh, she was an alpine skier and she decided like, I think she just really got mad and upset. And she's like, I want she had a dream when she was young of, of being an Olympian. She sort of had a vision of it. And she's like, I want to do something. And so she was strong, a really strong girl. And she made a, a jump to bobsleigh and, you know, went on to win multiple um, um, medals, but she was, there was fuel, there was fire in her belly because of how, what had happened to her partly. Yeah. She's like, no, like I'm better than this. I'm bigger than this. And I'm just going to work harder than everybody. And she was just determined. So, it was kind of like a personal quest to, for herself, to show herself that she was worth more than what people said about her. So well, I love there's that. All, hmm. uh, and like, I love all those stories just because again, like none of them was, you know, the speed skater. It wasn't motivated by I'm going to win an Olympic medal. It was motivated by, I just love finding that perfect line. And then, you know, with each one of those stories, there was just, there was something that wasn't, the end goal that was motivating them to get there and be, they became Olympic athletes, you know, the physics yeah. of the luge and how it all works and just loving that led to a career as an Olympian. And so it's just, it's cool mm -hmm. hearing that it wasn't necessarily, you know, the kids saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then just, you know, it was something about the sport itself, not something about the end goal, I guess is what I found, what I, what I liked about all of those. Yeah. And the adversity and just even the, like, I'm doing something else. This didn't work and I'm going to do something else. So in all stories, again, the golden thread in the story that I was, you know, creating out of this, it was a project I did that was uh, really passionate because I was really interested in the women's journey in sport because I knew it had been it's a very different journey for a long time. Like example, one of the stories I learned was that women um, Olympians who were in sliding before would get a box of Tide and an ironing board for a prize, like for real. Can you imagine a box of Tide? Like, I don't even think I'm exaggerating. It's been a while since I did this interview, but there was such a dis you know, discrepancy with respect to the experience. And also just people saying like, what, like, what, why would you do this? Like, there's no, um, who's gonna like you for this? Uh, you're not going in with the typical email, like not a thing, you're going to be bullied. Like there's a lot of naysaying along the way. Um, so yeah, of course they wanted to quit. Again, the big thing was that somebody, even though they, in some cases were being bullied brutally or made fun of, or like, oh, you're never going to amount to anything. Somebody's like, don't listen to them. So it's like, yeah. they kind of got rescued out of that. So it seemed to me that having somebody in your corner is a big deal. And if you don't have anybody in your corner, go find them. There's somebody out there that, for, for anybody to make your dream your dream sort of safe to dream. And that's kind of what they said. And so it was, it gave me a lot of inspiration as a, as a professional, because I, you know, I had, I've had my bumps in the road too. And um, 
life has thrown me some um, unexpected curveballs and I've had to, you know, reinvent myself and adjust. And these ladies were so inspiring, but it wasn't because they were just these forces of nature in terms of their incredible athletic prowess. In some cases, they would say to their own admission, they were ordinary, extraordinarily ordinary though, because yeah. they, they went further. Lots of people with, with great talent tap out early because they don't know how to take, go beyond that point. And they don't know how to work yeah. hard and find the thing that hooks them. Yeah. And well, so I mean, done. I love that. I love that too, though, just about having somebody in your corner. Cause like one thing I always try to talk to athletes of mine about is whatever that dream is for you in sport. Like if it's, you know, going to the Olympics, if it's playing professionally in whatever sport it is, vocalize it, mm -hmm. you know, talk about it, be open about it. And the more and more and more you can do that. Well, yeah, there are going to be the ones who, you know, turn to you and say, yeah, that's never going to happen. Like, Oh, what a loser thinking he's going to do this or do that. It's like, but also, screw that kid doesn't matter what they have to say about what you want to do like if you want to do <laughs> exactly. it if you're vocal about it you're going to find the people who actually believe in you you're going to find the people who are going to support you and then you're going to get there you know and it, maybe it doesn't end up being the exact goal you thought but you're going to make a lot more progress if you're talking about it you're open about it and you're telling people this is what i want to do you're going to find the people that are you're going to cut off early but you're going to find the people who are going to be with you through that whole journey too Yeah. Well, and that's huge. And something that I, as I'm like a mom, my son's 18. Um, one of the biggest things that uh, we dealt with is he had an autism diagnosis at three and, uh, and then, you know, changed uh, the vernacular is a bit different now, but he went to Asperger's, but he, um, yeah, he struggled enormously, he had a really, really difficult time. And it was never more um, sort of, apparent to his dad and I that like we needed to um, kind of debunk some of the judgments that were on him. Like we heard things like he will never, he will never, he will never be able to do this, this and this. And I one day just got really, really mad. And maybe it was the experiences I had of watching because my heart's for the three-legged horse. I love the people. I love when people saying you can't. Maybe that's part of my journey because that's been a bit of my journey with this career. Like someone's like, you won't be able to do this year you're a scrawny girl. Like I'd be like furiously angry and be like, no, I'm going to, you know, sometimes I did get my ass kicked. I'm not going to lie. Like, of course, language, we all I did. Did. But I, I, I was, I was humbled. Yeah. Many times over. Uh, but there was like, I'm going to show you because I do, you know, there was something I believed in about myself and I'm I got really indignant about my son, Kyler. And so did Jay, his dad. And um, we're like, okay, I know science, we know a bunch of stuff, like what are the things that he could do? Because he needs to exercise, um, you know, did a lot of research, tried to figure out the physiological implications of his diagnosis, like what was going on, did a lot of playing with, you know, food and exercise and a bunch of stuff. And also just really being like, anything's possible for you, dude, like anything is possible for you. So, uh, you know, we did manage to find um, that uh, a lot of things didn't work for him with his sensory issues, but the water did started swimming initially we would watch his races and we'd be like oh just just try because he'd be like we, we swore we could hear him whistling <laughs> in backstroke he'd just be like diddy and we're like it's a race like <laughs> do something and uh but he kind of caught the bug for butterfly swimming he loved he loves everything airplanes and so he's like i want to fly flying is great next thing you know he's one of the top kids in the province in 200 butterfly and that's in able-bodied swimming like you know there's people like he could swim para and and he's like i 
I, um, I want to swim with my friends, not, not that he wouldn't have swam para, but he really wants to swim. He's like, I can do this. And so, um, yeah, he's just, he's crushing it with swimming and he loves it and he's working hard and he has fire in his belly. So he's taken down some giants, um, in his little swimming career. And so I was just like, in a way, take that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, a, it, it, uh, you know, um, we've been really pleasantly surprised. So for me, you know, anything is possible. I, I'm saying, you know, um, I don't say no to, to anybody when they tell me some of these things. I mean, there's some obviously limitations, like you can't, um, but it, it's, I love that the journey with an athlete of finding or, or, or person who loves sport or even just want to try, like everybody has it in them. Yeah. Everybody's an athlete. You said, tell my old staff that we're going to treat everyone. Everyone is an athlete. Um, we can find something that, you know, we to help actualize their potential so they can be the best. And if it's like, I just really want to play, have some incredible years of pickleball until I'm 85, like, let's help you figure out how yeah. to do that. And so even on the, on sort of that approach, science is science, periodization is periodization, training is training. I never treated anybody differently in my career. I never wanted to. So yeah. whether you were at, because I thought it's about helping you be your best in the time that you want to be here. So those stories, I mean, it sounds like, you know, woohoo, I love those movies, you know, Rudy, all that stuff. I do. I mean, everyone loves those sports movies and, and those moments, but I got to witness some incredible ones in my own journey, which made me go, I am not giving up on anybody. So well, that fueled my fire to help sort of figure out the strategy that could best work for everybody. And that became my bread and butter. Well, absolutely. And I mean, like, I think those stories, but also the story of your son just really goes to show the power of the support system. Like, you know, your, your son's being told, Oh, he's never going to do this or he's never going to do that. And you guys basically just took that said, no, like, screw that. Like, we're going to work at it. We're going to figure out what's going to work for him. And now he's crushing it. So for those kids that maybe are in a position, whether it's from parents, whether it's from coaches, whatever else it might be, because obviously we all know that those poor support systems are out there, unfortunately, people that are going to tell kids, no, you can't do this or, oh, you're not good enough for, you know, whatever it might be. What would your advice be to first start to distance themselves from those poor influences and then how to kind of find those better influences, those people who are going to push them forward, who are going to, you know, be the encouraging force in their lives instead. Yeah, well, you know what, um, Kenny, interestingly, I'm still learning that myself. So I'm like the doctor who smokes sometimes. Like, <laughs> sorry to doctors who smoke, but you know, you sort of like, you tell, you take, you say all this stuff and you're like, great. And then you go home and you do something different. So I'm still learning that, but I actually play ladies football. I've been playing for the last 20 since, I don't know, 1998, same group of ladies. We've even gone to nationals a couple of times. It's crazy. I quarterback this team. I, I can throw anything. That was my, that's my superpower. Um, but one of my dear friends, Sarah Williams, um, she, uh, a basketball player, CNFX coach with, uh, you know, a coach, played with, coached and played with the Dinos at some point um, as well. She said, um, she gave me, she's very pragmatic. And she gave me advice one time. She said that what changed for her because she was an army kid. She kept traveling around and um, had to change cities all the time and make new friends and sport. A great athlete can do almost anything. Um, 
she had to, the way she made friends was through sports, but sports also was a thing that got her ostracized because she was good. Yeah. Especially with females, there was this like, oh, you're too good. She can't be that good or we won't like you. So she found for a period of time to fit in, and I've done this many times too, and I find this to be very common in females particularly, the pressure to fit in is enormous. The fear of missing out is enormous. So there's a lot of bullying that goes on in female sport and particularly like you can't shine brighter than me. I don't know what it's about, but I've experienced it firsthand. It's extremely painful. And I know that it's made a lot of girls run away from sport. I can, I can only speak to the girl journey. I've heard it though in some guys. Yeah. The guys are a little bit, somehow have it a little bit of like, screw that, I'm just doing it anyway. But I've <laughs> seen it happen in guys too. Absolutely. Peer pressure. So she said she changed her game. She changed how she played the game to make other people happy. And then she was playing, she coached and played with a, uh, her name is Shawnee Harley. She was the coach of the Dinos basketball for years, went on to be assistant national team coach. Great lady who was like, you're not playing your game. Like this is your only chance. She'd come back to UC for a fifth year. She played and managed to make it through all the way to university, not really playing her game. Yeah. And she always felt she was holding back, but she was, you know, she'd pass instead of shoot. And she said to me one day, Shani um, just got through to her and said, this is your chance. You're either going to come out of yourself and play your game. This is your fifth year. Do it. So she just let go and just said, I'm going to play the way I want to play. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to play how I can play. She had the most fun she'd ever had in her life. She played the best she'd ever had in her life, played in her life. And she also realized that some of the people that she thought were her friends weren't her friends. Yeah. So that was a very potent message to me that I've used with many athletes that I, that I've worked with, or even just people. If you don't be fully you and don't go for it all the time as you, how are you going to know who even likes you? Like you're an imposter. So how yeah. do you ever, that's like mom, that's mom advice. I give it to my son. Like don't hold back because peer pressure for him is huge because he is a bit of a different duck. He's incredibly funny. He's got lots going for him, but you know, he's, He's really blunt. He says it like it is. He's got some interesting traits. He's, he's a lot of kid. And so sometimes he gets picked, picked on for that. And so he, I watch him play down and shrink down and not shine, you know, as Shawnee would say, shine your light and play your game. What do you have to lose? Later in life, you have a lot of regrets. What could I have done? And I recognize yeah. that for myself. What could I have done with a couple of sports I've, I've done? What could I have done with some of the things I gave up in school? Guess what I did? I mean, I'll admit it openly. Like I went to university and I'd been this perfect, I'd, I had perfect girl syndrome for most of my life and being perfect. I got to university and I went to the bar every day. <laughs> like I, I had a hundred, like, a, well, I'm, I'm going to say I had a very high, I say had, cause I don't know that I do anymore. I had a very high IQ and I was in a special program and I was like, I don't want to be this person and I don't want to be, try to be perfect. And I'm so stressed all the time that I went and just blew off so much steam that I kind of blew some of my grades and opportunities yeah. So there's that. So there's this battle I find uh, in, you know, growing up through sport, particularly as you get into those years, um, 13, 14 plus, those really pivotal years where dropout is systemic in sport. It's a real issue. And it's when we really, as coaches, teachers, parents, practitioners, anybody that's in their lives, really need to encourage and support athletes whatever they're doing a lot in those years, those are formidable, formidable years where peer pressure can really drag people away from 
their gifts and abilities and um, quit way before they ever could have and missed out on a lot of incredible opportunities. So how we do sport, how we coach sport, how we teach sport, I really feel has to change significantly. There's got to be other metrics of success we bring in and reward in sport, not just the outcomes, the education around using sport as a vehicle to be a great person and to actualize your potential in whatever you do, because those life lessons are universal. Um, you get to be a great, you know, all those lessons. So that's how I sort of spent the last many years of my career um, before I went back to university, which is just this last fall, really educating us to that holistic life approach to performance. Because um, if you look at it that way, there's lots of lessons and a lot of ways that I, you know, myself and my old, old staff used to reward and encourage athletes. And we'd watch them just puff up like, you know, peacocks, you know, if yeah, they for their efforts or their attitude or doing their homework for, for training, you know, having a great yeah. post-exercise snack. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think that kind of stuff too is like, that's a huge message. And I really hope that anybody listening really takes something from that because again, it's easy to look at the stat sheet. It's easy for, you know, coaches to look and go, Oh, this kid scored, you know, however many goals or that kid did this, but the ones, the things that are going to take you long-term, whether your career does end up being in sport or does end up being anywhere else, it's those universal things, the effort, the attitude, the consistency, how you're taking care of your body, these things that, yes, are going to help you in sport, but are going to help you everywhere else as well. Because as you reach mm -hmm. those higher levels, coaches aren't just looking for, oh, this kid can score goals. Yeah, when you hit those higher levels, everyone can score goals. So if you're a goal scorer, but you've got a crappy attitude and you're always pulling people down and you're, you know, that negative influence in the locker room. And then this kid over here is a goal scorer, but he's always bringing people up and he's always a good influence and he's always, you know, bringing the team together. What player do you think those coaches are going to want? Like every time they're going to go for that kid who's bringing the positive light to the team, not just, you know, performing actually in the game. So well, building team captains, building team captains. And so that lesson, so, you know, to an earlier point you were making, um, building that mentality and teaching um, kids to lead and what that looks like and modeling that and having zero tolerance for bullying and naysaying and that negativity, because I can say as a physiology person um, has a huge toll <laughs> chemically. Um, there's, I can course. speak objectively. It's not a character judgment. Physiologically, it has massive impact on what's going on hormonally in the body. Of um, so if you in a bad environment, I don't care how much you bring to the table, no one's going to grow in that environment. And that's the old plant study. Talk mean to the plant, ignore the plant, say positive affirmations to the plant. Which one grows better? The one you say positive affirmations to. The one that um, grows the least is actually the one you ignore. So that's also a problem. So this cancel culture is really huge in sport right now as well. So um, every Olympian, every person that I've ever had to um, who, who lasted any time in sport got away from that as much as possible and had to really change the way they thought about it. So um, my ex-husband, um, you know, a really great friend still, I still help him with his training. I designed his training for 11 of his 14 years. He, um, he had a really rough start, was a bad kid doing drugs, sports saved him. Um, he was 265 pounds in grade 10. Imagine what that wow. would look like. That's crazy. So, you know, end up getting a scholarship, Kent State, 
came back, played for the Stamps for 14 years and was struggling when I met him, couldn't put on weight, um, but, uh, you know, got him really huge, strong, whatever. He went on to win a lot of awards and, and, and a big thing he really focused on was he wasn't the most shiny um, of players. He'll always say he wasn't the most talented. There are other guys that had better feet, hit, hit better, you know, do things, but he worked tirelessly and he really worked on being a leader. And so he got to captain the team for the last seven years of his career. I love that. And really drive that. Like, and he was just a war, a warrior and, um, and he worked at it every day. And so, and living with that and also seeing and having the opportunity to walk alongside the different pressures that come when you get to that level, it's not even about the fitness that becomes important or the skills. You always have to look over your shoulder. Somebody wants your job all the time. Yeah. So if you're not used to being chased all the time, like how do you stay in front? Um, how do you manage the bad press? Like people writing terrible things about you in the newspaper. I used to sit in the stands and have hear people screaming at him about his penalties and that guy. And, and I like, you know, there's a lot of naysaying and then loving you when you're up, hating you when you're down. Yeah. So te teaching kids early, um, I watched that. And then just, uh, you know, obviously physiologically how the body ages and changing how you train, that's a whole other topic I could go on forever about, which I, I learned <laughs> so much from that experience. He didn't realize he was a guinea pig of my experiments um, <laughs> as much as he was. But uh, um I, those experiences living with that and also the hurt of that, of the pain of that, the social pressure of it, the everyone seems to love you, but then when you retire, you're nobody. That was so painful. And one of my best friends, her husband is Henry Burris, and I watched, walked through them with their struggles and all the stuff they'd gone through and how much he, he suffered behind the scenes uh, with the people saying terrible things about him and what it did to their family it infuriates us. So I, those stories made such a huge impression on me, just living it and watching what happened to people. And that was in the CFL. Yeah. You know the pressure it gets when you add millions and millions and millions of dollars to that. Yeah. So with that, I'm like, you guys think it's great up there. And it is, there's amazing things that come with it, but who you are as a person and how you prepare for that kind of, success or pressure is just as important because once you get there you're not the social stuff that goes on with it is, is what's going to derail you so if we don't teach kids how to handle pressure and success early that's a learned skill it just isn't in that i've watched more great athletes crash and burn after a year because they couldn't handle the life around it yeah so to me that is just as important to plan maybe more so and that's something I, I tried to really in, um, integrate into deliberate planning with yearly training plans with the athletes that I worked with. And, and I want to, and that matters a lot to me. It's part of what I'm studying when I'm studying in university. So anyways, well, that's I my soapbox. That. <laughs> I get super passionate about it. No, and I mean, it's a good thing to be passionate about because I think that is a huge area of professional sport that doesn't get talked about a lot, right? Like I remember even as a kid, I grew up watching, I, I grew up watching hockey mostly. And uh, I grew up in Ottawa following the senators closely right now. That's a little bit of a tough, uh, tough position to be in, but back in the day, they were quite a good team. And some of the things I remember even reading as a 
kid reading some of the horrible comments people were writing about, you know, their star players. I remember once in particular, Daniel Alfredson made this just a bonehead play. Like he just messed up. It happens to everybody, but it ended up costing them game seven of a playoff series and these horrible things coming out in the news. And like, I remember I was probably 12 or 13 years old and I'm seeing these things going like everyone like relax, (laughs) you know, people are threatening him going on and on and on. And it was a mistake. Like you think he doesn't already feel terrible that he cost his team the game. Like, you know, and to just, I couldn't imagine having to deal with that at that kind of level. And so to hear you talk about that, having, you know, lived right alongside it, it's, um, it's something that I think is really important for kids to learn and understand that, you know, life in professional sport isn't all roses and million dollar contracts. Like there is this other side of it that you need to be ready for. And it's not to say don't pursue it, but it's to say that you need to understand how to deal with these things before you're in that position. Because if you are going to be successful, this is going to be a huge part of what you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, learning to deal with it early is only going to help you once you actually reach that level. Well, and every, uh, yes. And and that's uh you know, I don't want to put a, a negative spin on it. I can say that um, there are, I mean, there's some documentaries. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, is it the, I said, uh, some, the price of gold, the cost of gold, the whatever gold, what the heck I dropped? Ooh, I, Michael Phelps sure. and okay. there's people in there. They talk about, um, you know, uh, just, uh, they get the gold medal and just, and they're not, you know, they're not making a lot of money. I mean, some of them get great endorsements, but the mental cost of that and the pressure and how people talk about them and, um, love them when they're up and don't when they're down. And so just the mental health issues that go on behind the scenes and everybody thinks they have everything going for them. They don't need my help. Why would they want to, you know, they, they've got, they're Michael Phelps, they're, so-and-so but it's the farthest thing what you actually don't realize is that a lot of people at those upper 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 levels are incredibly lonely and don't have support and um and don't have anybody that they can really truly authentically connect with and so it's actually this lonely at the top thing and i think that happens in all you know arenas to some extent but um I, I just, I have such a heart for people being kind to each other and not assuming and having watched this, but also being the incredible nerdy scientist I am at the, at the heart of me. I'm a super massive nerd. Like I am, <laughs> I made fun of a lot for it, but I'm like, there's a physiological cost to this. I watched what it did to how much, you know, my then husband could squat or how flat he was when he ran or, um, one uh, one guy that I had the, the privilege of getting to know and designing his training for for some time is a guy named Ryan Summer, who is now on the National Bobsleigh team and um, really, really, really great guy. And uh, um, I just, I said, we have to prepare you for what it's going to be like when you get there. And so we spent a lot of time, we even built sort of like, a, I talked to him about having his emergency toolkits of of stress, um, like when you're on the road, you're traveling with people, you're down, you maybe can't get away from people who maybe you're not getting along with, you know, what are the things you can even do? And I say that to everybody, like what are really knowing yourself and what you like is super important to being successful because for me, when I'm stressed, I go see my horse. I have a horse, yeah. just the smell of that guy changes everything for me. I love the dirt. That's who I am. I'm a cowgirl at heart. So why would I not spend more time out there? Um, 
But uh, like Ryan, he loved watching Planet Earth. He, he just put it out his hands and he would just get serene. And he used to tease him because he loved to spritz his plants. I'm like, okay, like, so you're in the airport, you're not around the plane going overseas. You can't spritz your plants, but make a playlist. What are the things you can do so that you can get away without getting away yeah. just to um, have your time and get away from any negativity or difficulty or stress. So everybody has to figure out their, who they really are and what, they can connect with because that recovery we talked about earlier in our chat a lot of it is based on connecting with that that stuff so if it's writing yeah. it to write you um, are super interested in i don't know learning about bugs who knows yeah, what whatever it is, right? it is like, for you right? have that thing so the people that are successful interestingly are also the most interesting and go farther when they enrich their lives with all these other things right so yeah um, take up a new language like so I've always sort of, I, I'm interested in what pe people, makes people successful. I'm super stoked. It's my absolute heart explodes when I see people see themselves the way they really are. You know, that TSN turning point that just makes me, you know, I get, I'm like a proud mom. I just get so excited and so happy yeah. for them. And so when I, when they get to see, have that glimpse of, and you've seen it probably many times as a coach yourself, all of a sudden someone sees what you see and they connect. It's like, it's the best feeling on the planet for oh, everyone. Absolutely. absolutely. Without a doubt. That's the, like the absolute best part of this job. But uh, one thing you were talking about there as well, just, you know, with, uh, you know, the pressures obviously of being at these high levels and, you know, seeing these terrible things that people are writing about you. I wanted to bring back, cause I think that really comes down to those social circles as well. Right. Like early on, if you learn how to figure out who those people are that are in your corner and who those people are that, you know, you're cutting off, you learn how to know yourself, how to understand that even if some idiot on the internet is writing about how terrible of a hockey player or a football player or whatever you are, that doesn't actually affect you. That doesn't mean that you are whatever that person's writing. And, you know, you can stick to those people who truly know you and those people who are truly, you know, there and in your corner. And if you can learn that skill early, because that is such a skill, I think that's one thing that's uh, one thing that's really going to help anybody, you know, we're talking obviously in the realm of athletes, but anybody, no matter what it is you're doing. Right. I love that message. I really appreciate that. Well, Kenny, amen to all you said too. Cause I mean, I think that it's only been punctuated for me more having um, a son the way I have a son and watching it. I mean, we have had many tears and disappointments watching how he's been treated and, and also how he's acted. He's done some pretty, boneheaded crazy things in his own anger about it so I'm not gonna say our kids perfect because we know that's not true but um, of course uh, we've done our own bone stupid stuff for sure like but um finding that sort of safe place where like you said and also just to pull you down and get you off your high horse because that happens so yeah it uh, goes both ways Nicole, for sure oh my gosh well and also to be like you who like this is not real like I mean not to like rain on your parade, you know, crap on your cornflakes, but this is, you know, this is temporary. Like it's an incredible blessing, lots to it, but also like you're still, a, you know, you're, you still put on your pants one leg at a time. You still have to, uh, you know, pay your taxes. You still got to do all these things. So it's like um, finding that balance of like people who re reflect that, that reality to you. And I just, uh, I love her to bits. Um, Nicole, Henry's wife, she me, hopefully she doesn't get mad at me saying this or he does, but she is a fierce woman and she's like, 
she will pull her husband down on like <laughs> no time flat. Like, no, this is not who you are. You're coming home, you know, like, because it is, imagine it's exciting when things are going well and you're getting all this attention. Of course it is. It's one way. And what happens to the athletes that end up going and sadly doing terrible things is when sports stops and that stops and you realize is it, it only is connected to you doing well. That is devastating. And that's why suicide rates are very high. Rates of depression are very high. People can't cope with it. That's why um, the divorce rate um, I heard by the, the old head of the NHL Players Association is after one year after retirement is 83%. Wow. That's pretty, well, that's a, that. that's a crazy stat. I mean, and I think like, you know, I think that's really important for people to remember. Like, obviously there are, there is this, this whole other side of professional sport that quite often we don't hear about, or we don't talk about as much, or, you know, we might see clips in the news here and there, but really isn't as prevalent as, you know, all the fame and glory of it all. But I think what I've really gotten from the last hour and a little bit uh, talking with you <laughs> is that's got to be one of the biggest things for people to learn is how to build your foundation, not only in the gym and in the sport, but in your life. So that as you progress through those levels, as you, you know, gain a little bit more fame and notoriety in your sport, you remain that same person that, you know, if it all goes away, you're going to be the same person tomorrow. The sun's still going to come up. You're still going to, as you said, put your pants mm -hmm. on one leg at a time, like all of these things. And if you can keep yourself grounded in that way and find the people that can, you know, keep yourself grounded on both sides of it, make sure you're not too low with the negatives and you're not too high with the positives. That's what's really going to allow not only success in the sport, but success in life after the sport. Cause that's a huge, a 100%. huge element of that as well. Well, and a lot of athletes go on to be great leaders because they know how to work hard. They need to know how to discipline themselves. They know how to like those that sort of make that transition, um, you know, successfully after sport, make incredible employees because they've got that, that work ethic. They know how to suffer through adversity. They know how to really push themselves. They've learned those skills. I always learned those skills. I always say to athletes, those are things you need to learn. They're not innate. I mean, there is always that kid you see, you probably met lots in your coaching practice that will just like run into the wall and seem to be fine with it, right? And there's <laughs> others you really have to coax off the bench. So there are some oh, yeah. of those, um, <laughs> there are some of those in, you know, innate things, but generally speaking, learning that um, to be disciplined in all aspects around the sport performance is, uh, is something that needs to be taught it is just as critical and, and young and making good decisions. So just like I said, the thing that really attracted to me going back to the beginning of our conversation about performance planning and strategy, that's the thing that really, because I could see all the pieces and I'm naturally kind of a puzzle master. It's how I think. Um, I weed out the crap and head for that, the thing. Yeah. Um, I, I just naturally see through stuff. It's just, it's, that's my kind of uh, ability that I'm in honing and learning everybody has you I'm sure you have a whole bunch that you're you know makes what you do unique and helps you connect with people your story certainly inspired me Kenny a lot my gosh I told a bunch of people about you and your coaching <laughs> you know when you're a teenager I'm like who does that but I had my ability that I learned to leverage and that was what's let's let's let the main thing be the main thing let's figure that out to what's going to make you be successful to get to this place in however many weeks, months, years, and how to synthesize all that information. But I had to back it way up to let's look at 
Like, how could I be so naive to think that what goes on in the gym is all there is? So of course, yeah, of like course. everything someone else is bringing to the table is going to have a massive physiological impact on what they do. So in order to get somebody to be truly successful, in my mind, it's, it goes back to something very simplistic, just like we identify the key performance indicators for every sport when we develop a yearly training plan. And those are, you know, the, the physiological, the cognitive, tactical, the technical, the mental side, the mental performance side, all those things that we build into categories. Um, so we plan for the year from the off season through the season and, you know, and so forth. It's the same with your life, you know, not to yeah. Wildly philosophical, but it goes back to what are your key performance indicators, which are really what are your key values? What do you value most? And if you understand that and you teach kids to understand what they value most early, and that's one of the things I used to do in one of the services, I, I still offer it. You know, I'm in school, but I still offer this service around these performance reviews is, you know, teaching um, that decision making uh, as part of the performance plan, like what's going to make somebody successful, is identifying their values what's important to them maybe at some um, young ages it might be what's important to you friends <laughs> hockey you know my video games like whatever <laughs> it is it may be something like that but that, that for them that's still it's still super important yeah it's still important so then to keep in those mind. Are, so when they come to you and say um these are my four priorities friends blah 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 and then they're also telling you kenny uh get me to the nhl next year but you've already mentally gone, you said friends, okay, so hockey was in second place um, or whatever. Like, okay, well, if you're um, planning to be successful in hockey this week, this next week or whatever, but you've identified that your friends are your most important thing um, and you get these opportunities. So I build in scenarios like, uh, your friends ask you to a party on Friday night, but you know you're playing in a tournament Saturday morning and you gotta be on the ice by seven. If your friends are the most important thing to you, what's the answer to the question? Do you say, yes, I'm going to go party? Or do you say, I have hockey? Well, if your friends are the most important, the answer to your question is, I'm going to go with my friends. So teaching values-based decision-making and making sure that what you, how you act is in alignment with your values. So then when you get a bad result because you showed up at the, on the ice at seven, you know, however, depending on how old you are, maybe half in the bag, like some people have, you know, or, yeah, or yeah. whatever it is, then, and you don't play well, well, I'm, you don't be angry because yeah. you're like, set your expectations accordingly. So if you've got expectations that aren't aligned with these values, then it's never going to work. So if you back up that bus, so that's a fundamental thing, you know, when you talk about big gurus that talk about being happy and successful in life, you know, knowing who you are and what your values are and making decisions in alignment with that. If you think about it, and I have to remind myself this too, decision-making becomes very easy. Yeah. You know, hang out with that person or don't. Um, eat that food or don't. Um, you know, so teaching that early and then extending that into later and holding on to those core values and what you believe throughout your lifetime. I mean, obviously they're going to shift and evolve as you get more mature and understand. Yeah, of course. Will help you keep your feet planted and help you stay successful and have that balance and have those good relationships that are so critical. Yeah, I love that. It's like that. a YTP for life. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that. I mean, I think that's incredibly important. And I think that is, you know, just thinking about a lot of different examples of, you know, times in my own life, but also kids that I've worked with that, 
you know, just based off of that idea of values-based decision-making, I think that's a really big conversation for a lot of them to have with themselves and, you know, for us to all be having with ourselves constantly. Um, And Tara, I just wanted to say thanks again so much for coming on, taking the time to come on, share a little bit about what it is you're doing now and all of these really amazing, all of these really amazing insights into athlete development. I think there's there's so much good in this interview for so many kids out there, you know, building a foundation, uh, values-based decision-making, I think was a huge one right at the end there, but then a little more insight even into the life in professional sport, you know, the good and the bad and how to navigate all of it, because, you know, there's so much to that, that I think kids overlook that, uh, you know, we don't see, and then people aren't prepared for. And that is one of the biggest reasons I wanted to start this show is, you know, creating success right from day one, how kids can get prepared for that and then succeed once they get there. And I really think we've done a lot of good um, with that goal in mind. So thank you for that. Awesome. Well, awesome. I'm so like impressed with that you're doing this and like, thank you for doing it because I think, you know, there's, there has to be a platform like this to help paint the real picture and really help um, our struggling youth mental health right now and COVID is crazy with athletes and, and it's never become more obvious as it does it is now to those kids around what, what they pin their value on and having more um, to their lives and to what makes them them than just the sport and things like that. Yeah. And those are really important things, but also other ways to be successful when you can't train the way you normally can. Like what are all the other ways you can be successful in sport? And that's a whole other topic. So obviously I love to, talk about this stuff it's my heart project and the way yeah. and I really want to go back to you know I've gone to university I want to be able to teach and research and find the science to um, corroborate a lot of the stuff that I've, I've witnessed um, in my many ups and downs in this this industry so yeah I'm well, super grateful for the opportunity to chat with you thank you Oh God, no problem at all. I'm really happy to have had you here. If somebody's looking to get in touch with you based off of something they heard here or, you know, to talk to you more mm-hmm. about your research or anything else like that, what would be the best way for them to go about that? Well, you know what? It's funny. Um, I'm not really on social media because of bad things that happen in pro sport. That's a whole other topic area I could talk about. Um, it was very, yeah, but I am on LinkedIn and um, you know, absolutely. You can, um, I give you permission to give, you know, anybody that connects my email address or anything like that. Um, I don't have a website at this stage of my business, but um, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you permission to be able to connect with you or they can find me on LinkedIn. Sounds good. I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes as well. One. So yeah. Tara, thanks again for being here. I really appreciate the time and anybody else Thank listening. You. This has been the elite development podcast with Kenny Dusso and Tara McNeil. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.